survive and thrive. This is a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but thrive in change. I'm your host and co-founder of Consinity, Jennifer Ayers. For this episode, which will be the final episode in the COVID-19 series, I thought it would be amazing to close with a world thought leader on transformation, Dr. Partha Ghosh. For those of you who may not know Dr. Ghosh, he is a humble man with big ideas and world leaders seek him out for his insights and guidance. He's known for innovative ideas to help companies navigate complex changes. Dr. Ghosh is also a policy advisor and a strategist for corporations and heads of governments. He's known worldwide as an innovator of business and economic models and currently enjoys advisory relationships with multiple organizations in over a half dozen nations. I'm pretty excited to have someone like Dr. Ghosh here today, and I've had the pleasure of meeting him through one of our former partners, Larry Kaufman who invited him to speak to our company and share some of his insights on how the coronavirus pandemic has exposed just how fragile our civilization is. And it was a way for us to begin to think about how we could step in and help the organizations and our clients. In that meeting, he introduced a concept called the Human Care System, or HIGH-IQ for short. I'm sure he might get into that a little bit more as we discuss and engage in this conversation, but he talks about how an event like the pandemic can push us in a way that we need to find new possibilities that are pursued with courage, creativity, and with conscious. If you remember, our motto at Consinity is to enable the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. So I'm all over this subject. So Dr. Ghosh, I could go on and on and on and talk about you, but why don't I pause for a moment and let you say a little bit more about yourself and we'll get started. Uh, Thank you, Jennifer. It's indeed a great opportunity. In short, I view myself as a lifelong student of life. So I really look at myself as a student. Academically, as you know, I grew up as an engineer. I spent my early years in IIT, then at MIT. Then I did my uh, master's in business administration from Sloan and Harvard Business School. Now, over the last 40 years since then, I've been a problem solver, a management consultant. I've been extremely privileged that I have the opportunity to serve some very complex problems around the world, actually across 30 nations, across perhaps a dozen industries, which includes automotive and aerospace, biopharma and chemicals, energy and petrochemicals, telecommunications, fashion. So indeed, it exposed me to different kinds of leaders across the world, different nations, and then also had the opportunity to serve heads of nations in about eight to 10 nations on very specific problems like industrial policy, how to adjust to geopolitical issues, and at the same time, think of education policy, infrastructure policy, stimulation of entrepreneurship, and so on and so forth. So in short, I view myself as a student. You have to learn every time as you begin an engagement. And when you finish the engagement, you have to restart the process. So I've gone through these ups and downs, if you will, perhaps 100 times over the last 
40 years and enjoyed every moment of it. Enjoyed every moment of it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I like that. Uh, it's a very good attitude to have, by the way, since things are always changing. As a student of life who spends his days thinking of how to navigate through what's coming next, how did that come to play out a year ago? Dr. Ghosh tells me about his thoughts on the pandemic and his early awareness of the disease. It's interesting. You know, when I first heard about the pandemic, it was actually in December of 2019. That time I used to visit China quite a lot. And while I returned from China, I heard about that incident, which was reported in the news that some doctor talked about it. And immediately I felt this is a serious challenge. It would spread around the world, though I did not want it. But I was a bit surprised at how the leaders of various countries were a bit slow in responding to the way I felt I should have responded. So as it unfolded, it became serious in around end February, early March, when people started talking about it. I felt that this could be something which could be having a transformational effect on the global civilization. And I started looking at it from three different angles. One, how do we defend ourselves vis-a-vis -vis the spread? And obviously, I was thinking about social behaviors, wearing masks, being careful about clean living, etc. But at the same time, I was surprised how slow, particularly advanced countries were, and some of the lower-income countries obviously do not have much of a choice but to live with it, given the high population density in a country like India, given the poverty levels. It's hard to talk about clean living and social distancing when there are 20 people sleeping in one room. Now, there I felt particularly developed country leaders would be able to set a model for the developing world, which unfortunately did not happen. Number two, I expected that the industries will respond much faster than they did. But on the other side, some newcomers like Zoom did a superb job to be able to connect people around the world, make uh, digital meetings possible. And that obviously helped us to not get exposed to the challenges of uh, the coronavirus. And the third vector is I was hoping there would be faster adjustment in terms of how the governments responded in terms of uh, readjusting the education system, the transportation system, the financial system, the financial aids. So I felt that we were a bit slow in adjusting to the danger of the virus. We waited a bit too long until it became more visible. I think if we did what we are doing right now, or perhaps we began doing six months ago, if we did that in month of February, March, practiced lockdown for about two weeks, we would have been in a very different place and the economic losses that we have suffered would have been significantly less. So the lesson learned that humanity has to learn how to take weak signals when they're weak seriously, as opposed to waiting for them to become strong. Sometimes it's too late. To bring back the focus to Dr. Ghosh, what was he personally experiencing, and how did that change? First day I heard about the Johns Hopkins report, I still remember around 7.30 in the morning in a CNN, I think it was perhaps uh, end of February, early March, when I myself returned from India after a two-week trip. 
And I recall I was using masks even when I was in India, the, and the mask was not being discussed, but I took the protection. Now, on that particular day, if I have to sort of replay that day, and I hope I can refresh my memory quite well, you know, in my life, I had some meetings lined up where I was supposed to travel. So immediately I made some adjustment. I called my clients, I called my students, I called my university, and it said that, look, I would like to do everything from home. So I got very quickly adjusted to the need to use the power of digitization in every aspect of my life, whether I'm working with my students, companies, some company CEOs whom I'm mentoring. So everything I digitized on that particular day, at least I decided to get digitized. So I had a Zoom account. Tufts and MIT also moved into the digital world. So my interface with the universities within a week or so became digital. So that particular day was a day of planning, day of thinking. When a crisis happens, how do we could stimulate our creative juices so that indeed we could, instead of being passive and being, uh, I will, reactive, how could we be active and that too in a proactive way, that too in a strategic way? And I think I made certain adjustments then, and I'm very proud of that. I also decided I would not go out to the local markets or go to uh, Whole Foods or go to Trade Show. So I decided to do everything remote and only do exercises with my mask on when I go outside. And that, that also at a time when I would not be exposed to the crowd. So I was, I would say, talking about that day, I kind of with my wife quickly adjusted to what might be the new ways. I would not call it the new normal. I hope it does not become the new normal, but the new ways uh, so that we could transition through stage A to whatever the stage B might be in a smooth, least disruptive way and accelerate some of the adjustments which I would have made over five years. Maybe I made that in five days, particularly when it comes to digitization of my life. As the rest of the world became more aware of the virus in the early half of 2020, those in Dr. Ghosh's life all responded differently to something none of us had ever experienced before. First, I have to make it very clear. I spend about 50 to 60% of my time with the academic world where I teach. That part really did not change. Students became eager. They're all working executives. They work for Raytheon, they work for Biogen, they work for Sanofi and Takeda and all kinds of high-tech companies. There, I think, um, I did not see much change. In fact, the students were very eager how they would continue taking classes with me. So that was easy. It moved from the classroom to digital, which gave me more time because I don't have to travel anymore. Right? If I get up at 8 o'clock, I can begin a class at 8.15. So that was kind of an easy transition, and I did not see much change except I cannot touch and feel my students, but I have to touch them through the digital world. The second part, as far as the clients are concerned, I spent about 30 to 35% of my time with clients. They were became quiet because they were themselves struggling with how to solve the problems. But what I did was to reach out to them, not in terms of viewing them as my clients, but as my friend, as my 
uh, if you will, someone who I care for, which I do. I've always cared for my clients to see what could I do to help the transition. And clients were very busy transitioning, but I was helping them with my ideas to write a short note instead of worrying about X, you should worry about Y. And many of the clients really valued that so much so that some of the relationships became more tighter. The third thing which I did, I became more busy by person. I also run an organization called the Boston Pledge, which is a pure volunteer organization. And for Jennifer, I would like you to join the Boston Pledge. It's purely to serve the people at the base of the pyramid. We don't make a single penny, but we serve. And that became more active because now we could do all the workshops uh, through the Zoom. In fact, I became, we used to do maybe one workshop every two months. Now we started doing one workshop every two weeks. So that way we became more effective and people were also available. They wanted to touch with people who are far away because these workshops are happening in China, in India, sometimes in the poorer parts of Vietnam. We, or I became more visible to the eyes of the people, except through digital means. I love that Dr. Ghosh touched on this idea of caring during COVID, especially care in professional relationships. I think if there's one unintentional benefit of the pandemic, it is that COVID-19 has reminded us that we're all human. We all have hopes. We all have fears. We all have an inner child. We all have family we care about, a spouse, a dog, whatever. We discuss this renewed sense of humanity. I personally feel, if I look at the last 300 years of human history, starting, let's say, when Adam Smith wrote the book, The Wealth of Nations, and then Karl Marx wrote the book on um, Das Capital, which is basically challenging that the capitalism would have its limits. And now we have come to a point where on one side we have given up on socialism, on the other side we are questioning capitalism because, as you know, there's a huge divide between rich and poor. Time has come where we have to make this linkage between what I would call socialism and capitalism in a fashion where we could make the economic system truly human-centric. And when we say human-centric, it doesn't mean how do we make the human being more productive only? They have to be productive. They should feel comfortable and cozy being in society, be happy with being in society. Third, they could unfold their inner power. They could uncover their inner assets and in the process self their inner talents. So creating an opportunity for everyone so that the gifts that God has given us truly get celebrated across the world. Now, I personally feel the coronavirus gives us a great opportunity, although it's very unfortunate, to rethink how we could construct the new world, the new system, if you will, where we are much more engaged with each other. And that's what I'm calling the human care system or human care engineering. That it is not just healthcare. It is taking care of human beings, spiritual life, intellectual life, physical life, emotional life, the whole hundred yards from the day he or she is born till 
he or she passes away. But during this period, making sure that everyone's lives is satisfied and celebrated to the fullest. And there's no reason we cannot do it because I think we have the technologies. I would like to believe we have the resources, but we have to create the system with a new perspective. And this could be very business-like. I'm not saying that all of us become volunteers, but the business models have to become very different where serving human needs and helping humans develop becomes the central core of the economic systems. I couldn't agree more. We are on this earth and the humans make up the earth. (laughs) And although there are wonderful advances in automation at the end of the day, there's still human beings. And so having a human approach that incorporates some of these technologies to enhance our human experience, I think is we're positioned now to really harness that power. And I know for from my experience that in our company, we talk a lot about this human-centric or creating a human experience. In the last 10 plus years, it's become more commonplace to refer to customer experience and patient experience. And we're sort of talking about what's the whole human experience because we're in a place right now where I think, although the pandemic has created quite a bit of disruption, I think it also, with that disruption, comes a great opportunity to focus on what's important. And in my opinion, I think it's exposed that at the end of the day, we are all human. I mean, here we all are, stuck on Zoom calls. Everybody has experienced a Zoom call where, you know, a baby's crying in the background or someone's spouse walks by. And <laughs> so phone's rings. the phone rings. I mean, at the end of the day, we're we're human and we are motivated intrinsically by things that scratch the itch of what I like to say is your sole purpose. Why are you here and why do you do the things that you want to do? So if companies are thinking about developing technologies and innovating in a way that's ultimately serving the greater good for the human, I would just, you know, idealistically, I think that would be how I would like to see the world move forward. <laughs> you know, Jennifer, one thing, let me add, you know, um, you have been to Japan and I spent a lot of time in Japan. Yeah, you know, when I analyze the history of Japan, the golden period, the golden period, which is basically after the war, 1945, 1950, say, till about 1990, when Japan grew very rapidly. You know, I had the unique privilege when I was in Japan to get to know people like Mr. Matsushita, Mr. Morita, Mr. Uh, Kazuma Tateishi. And there was one common denominator. All of them became very successful businessmen, not because they were looking for money, they were looking for wealth, they're looking for market share. But their principal goal was very philosophical, that we want to serve humanity. We want to help Japan come out of the ashes after the Second World War and create jobs. And in the process, they excel in designing products, building products, and created millions of jobs, uh, about perhaps 10, top 10 or top 20 leaders of the business leaders of the country. But when I read their life, I see there's a tremendous amount of philosophical tone in which they built up their businesses. And I see that in people like Mark Benioff of Salesforce. He has brought in that concept of stakeholders 
and he looks at people living in the uh, roads of San Francisco, homeless people, as stakeholders. And that's very touching. That it is their city as much as my city, and they are the stakeholders of Salesforce. And we have to look at the Salesforce business model from that perspective. So I think if we can bring that kind of thinking, it would need a major transformation. And that's where I feel consultants like us could play a tremendous role. Because it needs a little bit of a fresh and outsider's perspective with insider's heart. And that is where I feel consulting profession is perhaps moving to create this new paradigm. I couldn't agree with Dr. Ghosh more when he says these words. I think now is the time to lead with not only the head, but also the heart and the gut. If you have all three balanced together, we can start to create something magical in the workforce. There's no doubt that the pandemic has accelerated many trends, technology being obvious. I see it as three vectors. One vector which digitally we could do much more than we expected two years ago. That has become very loud and clear. And so what I think humanity would have achieved in the next 10 years, we have achieved in the last 10 months almost. Dr. Ghosh is echoing what previous guests of Survive and Thrive have said on technology and its rapid advancement. So with Dr. Ghosh's human care system in mind, I wonder if these new technologies and innovations can help bring that to fruition. Thanks to companies like Zoom, Amazon, the power of AI, augmented reality, all of these are coming together to helping people with ideas to reach out to the world and in the process create a better collaborative environment. There's no doubt about that. So that's one uh, area where I would like to see a tremendous amount of explosion of new business models. The second vector also, I think people are realizing that we have to be conscious about climate change. It has been a subject of discussion when I was a student at MIT. In fact, I used to be a research assistant in the energy lab of MIT. I was 20 years old, but uh, I recall that time we were discussing about the environmental impact. Jimmy Carter started talking about the environment in the mid-70s when he became the president in 1976. But unfortunately, if you look at the carbon dioxide emission or the way we fill up the landfills with garbage has increased by a factor of five. So I think the COVID-19 and unfortunate uh, tornadoes and floods that we have seen in the Midwest and the southern part of the United States and other parts of the world, we only talk about U.S., but many other parts of the world are suffering in Central America, for example. I think people would become more conscious about new business models which is significantly more climate-friendly, ecologically friendly, and that would need a tremendous amount of reconstruction, which is the closed-loop business model, which recycling becomes part of the business model, recycling which would not entail too much of carbon footprint, etc., etc. So that's a huge range of possibilities would get exposed. And third, I feel, is the whole concept of energy management. You know, I think Elon Musk has taken a tremendous amount of lead in 
thinking of the concept of storage, collecting solar energy, putting it in the car, applying artificial intelligence, but that also could extend to the full environment because often people look at Tesla as a car company, but I look at Tesla as a, a company which provides the environment, including mobility, but including the comfort of the home where you have uh, solar energy serving the different needs. And obviously through AI, you will be connecting different machines, equipment together, which also Mr. Musk has taken tremendous amount of lead. So I think the concept of experience management, which is significantly eco-friendly, would evolve, powered by AI, powered by 5G, 6G. I wouldn't People are using the word XG these days. There will be different generations of communication, which will shape what I call uh, the knowledge economy 2.0. You may not have heard that term. People talk about knowledge economy. But I'm saying we are moving into knowledge economy 2.0. And that's where I call IoT to the power three, which is Internet of Things people talk about, which is connected machines. But then I talk about the next step is Internet of Thoughts, the way you and I are connecting where my imagination connects with your imagination to create a new business model, business construct. And then comes the spiritual part of it, which I will call Internet of Transcendence, which is Internet of the spiritual mind to Internet of distinctiveness if you look at the world of transcendence. So you're not just connecting thoughts, you're connecting some very special thoughts together. Like I always use this example, Albert Einstein, who is a scientist, mathematician, talking to another Nobel Prize winner who was from India, Rabindranath Tagore, who got Nobel Prize in literature for his uh, poetries and songs. But they had a dialogue in Berlin, and I was amazed. One scientist talking to a poet and a philosopher, and they could find a common theme around truth and beauty. And I could see those kind of collaboration happening across. Uh, disciplines across borders. And discipline doesn't mean across biology and physics and chemistry. That is one. Across philosophy and art and, uh, uh, let's say, anthropology, they would start colliding together to create business models. So I see these three kind of vectors opening up great opportunities. I love that. And I love the the way that you talk about not just the evolution of the knowledge industry, but what does it mean to incorporate some of the spiritual aspects into that? And thinking about the whole closed loop system is really an idealistic place that I, I would like to be around for and see certainly in my lifetime. When Dr. Ghosh and I spoke months ago, he touched on the reality that this pandemic has revealed the weakness and the weaker instincts of humanity, which could potentially lead to a geoeconomic disaster. I asked him if he still feels this way, and if so, what's the hope for our future? Thanks to Moderna, thanks to Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, and many others who have been involved, the whole pharmaceutical industry, I think we have been able to bring the COVID-19 issue under control. So that's part of the Armageddon, uh, one of the inputs of the Armageddon. I think we have brought it under control. But the other two aspects, if you recall what I mentioned about it, when I talked about the word Armageddon, is that people becoming 
more insular or close-minded. You know, people were closing borders, and rightly so, you know, uh, people wanted to protect their own population. So Hungary closed borders. Many of the European other countries were closing borders. Uh, it became he versus she. We started talking about the China flu, Kong flu, that was the term Donald Trump was using. That have created, I think, in the last 10 months, a little bit of narrowness in our thinking. Then you saw the problem in this country in name of racism, the Republican versus the, the Democratic divide, the divide in terms of what is the way to even go to the booths, who can go to the booths, etc. for voting. The COVID-19 perhaps made us a little bit insular and not being very open-minded about how to engage with the problem and become more open-minded. So I think that is where there's a little bit we are in the twilight zone. It is my hope we can come out of this insularity and become open-minded, or there's a possibility we will become more insular and start uh, drawing uh, you know, lines, building walls, and uh, restricting a flow of ideas, flow of people, flow of knowledge. That is something I feel a bit uncomfortable still, but I'm, I'm very hopeful with Biden and some of the European leaders, the leaders in the emerging countries in Africa or India or China, Japan, if they could create the new construct, perhaps we'll be able to get it under control. But that's something I have to worry about. And the third one is the business side. You know, the business, as you know, the stock market has done extremely well. And so who, whoever has got stocks, they should feel good. On the other side, that has increased the divide between rich and poor, which I call the COVID-19 divide. So we used to call, talk about digital divide, which has happened. Now we have the COVID-19 divide, and divides are visible all across the world. When I go to India, I see the divide even uh, more visible than I see in this country, but in this country also the divide has become strong. So that's the other problem, which is in each country, there is an economic divide uh, in addition to the racial divide or philosophical divide. So if these divides do not get addressed properly, that could lead to I don't know what, but a series of small battles which could lead to huge wars. And that is something we have to be very, very mindful of. We do not want the mutinies. We want unification of ideas. And that's why we need a good type of leaders. And one thing, Jennifer, I would like love to do with you, I have a leadership model. I think if you ask me, about there's one thing the world needs today. It's addressing the deficit of leadership. At the business level, the corporate level, yes. the government level, yes. that's a challenge. Yes, I agree. Oh boy, that's a whole other podcast episode. So I'm going to invite you back to talk on that one specifically. Sure. There's no arguing that in some ways, COVID has exaggerated the divides among us by stirring up fear. We have seen this economically and socially. However, I think it has also spurred an undercurrent an awakening where people are stepping up and saying, why am I doing what I'm doing? And how can I improve not just my life, but the lives of others? For someone who has consulted world leaders and organizations, 
I thought nothing could surprise Dr. Ghosh during the pandemic. But that's just it. The pandemic has surprised us all. There were some very positive surprises, and there were some extremely negative surprises. In the balance, I would say, I come out neutral. Let me talk about the positive surprises. I was very positively surprised, which we have known, we talked about, but I was directly involved because I was not born during the Second World War. I could imagine the struggles that people went through. So the COVID-19 war was the first real global war our generation has faced. And I was surprised with the human resiliency. Think of so many families lost their father, mother, wife, husband, daughter, son, grandfather. Some, many families lost their loved ones. But I think we continue. We continue with a positive spirit. Life has moved on. So I must say I was surprised with the physical, intellectual, spiritual, and emotional resiliency of people. That came out very, very clear. Second thing, I was also positively surprised with the ingenuity of several businesses, the way people, companies, or businesses responded in a growth of a company like Peloton, for example, Zoom, and all kind of DoorDash, the, the services, digital, if I call it digital logistics, digital healthcare. Many new companies got born or many new companies transformed their business model quite rapidly. And I was absolutely impressed. So that is very positive. It demonstrated to me the human ingenuity, which all happened in a very short period. You know, we forget that. It happened in three, four months' time. And now we are enjoying the benefits of all that. So that was positive. The negative side is also, I was particularly surprised with the disobedience factor. That when people like Dr. Fauci and many others were talking about the importance of the mask, the social distancing, being careful not to meet in groups, people were still having parties in Florida and California on the beaches, and I do not know what they were thinking. How come they do not take, you know, there's a reason there's a government in every country. The role of governance is to guide the population towards a good purpose. That I was literally surprised, particularly in this country, because after all, the United States is supposed to be the model for the world. The people from all over the world these days, thanks to television, YouTube, you know, not, the news gets transferred at the speed of light. So that was particularly, I was very, very surprised that how come, particularly I noticed that in the United Kingdom, I noticed that in the United States, particularly in the developed world, in the Western world, whereas we did not appreciate how China, South Korea, New Zealand, Japan, they all followed the law. They will always wear masks. And somehow we didn't want to learn, and they handled it very well, whereas the world that people all look up to, which is the Western world, somehow failed to become a model. That was a big surprise to me. The second one was the impatience factor. See, more we become enlightened, I would like to see if we could live with a two-week lockdown. If every state locked down only for two weeks in the month of March last year, not this year, last year, two weeks, or maybe three weeks, everyone followed it with full 
amount of commitment, we wouldn't have, we would have been in a different place today. I was surprised that we could not control our instinct to stay at home, stay covered, do things from home, be careful, just for two weeks. And that uh, was a big surprise because the more enlightened you are, one thing I would like to believe we develop in our system is our ability to be patient. And we did not give ourselves a chance. And that was a very big surprise. And the third one, which I kind of touched on it, but I will talk about it separately. In the United States, particularly, and I saw that little bit in the United Kingdom, Western Europe, there's a complex of superiority that we know what we are doing. No one is here to tell us. There's nothing to learn from China or Japan. Uh, this is, we know how to behave. And in the process, we kind of lost the opportunity of what we could have imported in terms of social behavior, sense, civic sense, if I use the word, sense of obedience to the government. I think that was a great learning opportunity, and somehow we missed it. So that worries me a lot, because at the end of the day, in a knowledge society, one of the most important requirements is for our ability to learn. As I mentioned, our ability to be good students. I felt the third one, particularly evident in the Western part of the world, that we did not demonstrate our ability to be good students and solve the problem. So those are the three, I would say, negative surprises. But on the other side, the positives are there. I mean, you know, know, the resiliency at which we had tried to adjust to the new world. But we did not. It's a, I see a little bit of a dichotomy there. On one side, the positive side did come out, but at the same time, the negative side was equally visible. Dr. Ghosh's insightful and thoughtful words remind me of the phrase that my very first guest, Kirsten Curtis, told me when recounting her COVID experience. Kirsten said, crisis brings out the best and the worst in people, and COVID was no exception to that. Before we hop off today, Dr. Ghosh offers his advice to leaders and organizations who want to not just survive, but thrive in change. I personally believe to survive, we have to thrive, and to thrive, we have to survive. So this is not one versus the other. It is is both the words, apart from rhyming well, uh, they belong together. (laughs) But let me... uh, kind of expand on it. You know, when you just think of the word survival, and that too in a passive mode and in an operational mode, that look, I have to survive, I defend myself so that I do not get infected, or I do not get killed, or I do not get sick. That is a wrong approach to survival, because we are basically defending and when you are in a defense mode, typically the survival strategy doesn't work. The world is changing, surviving against what? But if we take the survival requirement with a positive tone, that not be passive, but be active, not be operational, but be strategic, just the other end, that I have to survive, but with a strategic perspective and with an active role, then I think it opens up new possibilities. And let me give you several examples. One I would talk about is um, 
the way, for example, the retail industry kind of adjusted to the new world, which is, you know, you could pick up your purchase from the roadside, they saw the curbside loading, for example. Uh, they adjusted extremely well. You could put in your order digitally. Uh, you go to the parking lot, someone comes and load your cars, you come back home. Those were the good examples where I was told the retail industry has actually done very well because people were buying more, staying at home because of what they would have eaten in the restaurant or being put slightly uncertain whether the, tomorrow the COVID-19 would increase or decrease. People started buying more food than they normally required. So in that spirit, the retail industry did well. When I look at my field, I felt I engage with companies that I care about much more than I would have otherwise because I had more time. I was not traveling. I was not driving. And at the same time, the companies, uh, CEOs or the senior management also had more time because they're not traveling. They're perhaps having one after another Zoom meeting, but to squeeze me in for half an hour to have a chat where I'm only trying to help. That intensity increased. So again, for it is for me, it was not about surviving. It was about expressing my desire to help. But in the process, uh, what thrives is my desire to help. That thrived and that became more visible to the eyes of my potential clients. Whether they become my clients or not is not important. But they got to know Partha Ghosh a bit more. So that's the second case. And the third case, I feel, if I look at some of the industries like even the, some of the restaurants have taken a very interesting approach. They could have done much more that they serve cooked food. You can order food. But they could have created an entire environment in your home by uh, literally digitally connecting your home with music, which perhaps would suit the food. For example, I'm just creating a hypothetical case. So we sell experience. You just tell uh, you want to have a birthday for Parthagosh. Okay, how many people? Five. You cannot invite too many people. But you know what? Everyone whom you would have invited, they would be served the food wherever they are in the world, and we'll arrange that. Like the way you can sell send flowers to anywhere in the world. You could serve the same dinner with the same music anywhere in the world when you're celebrating Partha's birthday. So that is an example of how to create a new business model while you're trying to survive. I didn't see that, but if I was running a restaurant, that's what I would have done. And that's what we consultants do, as you know. We have to think beyond what our, your clients can think. And that's why you get invited to serve uh, clients on strategic issues. So I personally feel if we take the challenge seriously, every challenge creates an opportunity, but not how to survive, how to say that this challenge has given me an opportunity to change and to create a new model with a fresh mind. And I want to be invited to your birthday party, just (laughs) just throwing it out there. (laughs) May May 8th. (laughs) All right. Well, that's coming soon. Great. Awesome. Well, this has been wonderful. I really, really do appreciate it. I know you're very busy and a lot of people are seeking your wisdom and knowledge. So I'm honored that you took the time out to talk with me. If our listeners might like to get a hold of you, we will put in the show notes um, some information about you. But is there anything you would like to 
share in terms of how how you can be reached? Sure. I think, you know, they can all dial me in. I can share the number right away. 617-512-3038. And my email is parthasg at aol.com. So it's easy. I'd love to because I do think this time has come where we as consultant advisors could help companies to refresh their leadership model, their business model, and their organization model. All the three needs refreshing. And outsider's role is now more important than it was 10 months ago. Because now companies are busy fixing what they've lost or what they've changed, and they must. But at the same time, if we just fix, it's not good enough because it's a great opportunity, again, using your term. Fixing sounds like I'm trying to survive, let me fix. But if you say that, let me fix in such a way that a new world would get created for me, that's the kind of fix that we outsiders could bring to play and we could do that as a mentor, as an advisor, or put together a team to think of the future. There's so many different ways we could play such a role. I'd love to. Awesome. Well, thank you. And for our listeners, maybe mention that you heard uh, Dr. Ghosh on our Survive and Thrive podcast. So he knows that you know a little something about what he likes to talk about. This brings our first season nearly to a close, as this was our 19th episode. However, we're going to do a bonus in this series and finish up with one more episode, which will be a snapshot review on all of our last 19 interviews. We're going to consider the key themes we heard across each of our stories. So tune in next week for our last episode of our first season. Thank you, everyone, for listening and joining our episode of Survive and Thrive podcast. Remember, at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Take care.